This is not going to be a pleasant experience. You are going to see and hear things that are not going to be very nice. Experts divide serial killing into two general types: organized and disorganized. An organized killer brings everything he needs to complete the murder. A disorganized killer improvises. Begin. Listener discretion is advised. For this case, we're going back to early 1983. In January 1983, the syndicated version of Wheel of Fortune debuted with Pat Sajak and Vanna White. Jim Henson's Fraggle Rock also made its television debut. In Super Bowl 17, the Washington Redskins defeated the Miami Dolphins. The romantic comedy Tootsie, starring Dustin Hoffman, was ranked supreme at the box office. Here is a quick word from our sponsor. We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod Studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems. Classic functional medicine back to basics health tips and special updates from the best doctors in the United States of America. Check out this health and wellness podcast shows. Explore Health Talk Weekly, Healthy Lifestyle Matters, Excellent Health Digest, Healthy and Free Daily and last but not least, Weekly Health and Fitness Corner. Also, check out Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told Fiction Podcast, for that real life on the go experience with the 27-year-old golden boy, who made our guest invite number one list. He tells us about his story as it happens in real time and in real life. It's Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told. Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show. In early 1983, the Nicarico family lived in Naperville, an upscale suburb of Chicago, Illinois. Thomas Nakariko was an engineer, and his wife, Patricia, was a school secretary. They had three daughters, Chris, Kathy, and Janine. Janine was 10 years old, and she was in the fifth grade. She loved playing soccer and horseback riding. She also liked playing school with her friends. Her friends liked it when she was the teacher, because she never gave them homework. On February 25, 1983, 10-year-old Janine had the flu, so she stayed home alone. Patricia returned home at lunchtime and made Janine a sandwich. She was shocked to learn that morning Janine had opened the door to talk to an employee with a gas company. Patricia admonished her and told her never to open the door to a stranger. Patricia then went back to work. At 1.30, Patricia called home and talked to Janine. 
An hour and a half later, at about 3 p.m., Patricia received a disturbing phone call at work. It was one of her neighbors. She told Patricia that her daughter, Kathy, had come home and found the front door ajar. The frame of the door was broken and there was a muddy boot print on the door. It appeared that someone had kicked in the front door. But more importantly, 10-year-old Janine was missing. Patricia called her husband at work and they both rushed home. The police were called and the neighborhood was searched. When Janine wasn't found, a more extensive search was conducted. But no trace of the 10-year-old girl could be found. Two days after Janine went missing, two hikers were walking along a popular path outside of Naperville. In some bushes, they found the dead body of Janine DiCario. She had been anally raped and struck several times in the head with a blunt object. It appeared that she had been killed shortly after she was kidnapped. The police talked to all the neighbors. One person reported seeing a strange man in the neighborhood around the time Janine was kidnapped. He was a white man, possibly between the ages of 25 and 30. He was wearing wire-rimmed glasses and a brown-knit hat. He was driving an old car that was light-colored with rust. But the description of the man did not lead to any suspects. After a few weeks, a $10,000 reward was offered for information leading to an arrest. One of the tips that came in said that a man named Alex Hernandez knew something about the kidnapping and murder. Hernandez was 19 years old and he lived in Aurora, which is another Chicago suburb. On March 14, 1983, Detective John Sam interviewed Hernandez. Hernandez said that one night, he and some guys were drinking beer in a car. One of the guys with him was 20-year-old Stephen Buckley. One of the other passengers was a man he only knew by the name Ricky. Ricky admitted that he had killed Janine. Detective Sam and his partner looked for Ricky, but they couldn't find him. They did find Stephen Buckley, and they talked to him. They showed him a photograph of the bootprint that was found on the Nicarico's door. Buckley said he had a pair of boots that had similar treads. He handed the boots over to the detectives. The detectives took the boots to the state crime lab. The first expert that examined the boots determined that the tread did not match the bootprint on the door, but... No official report was made. Instead, he just told the sheriff's department that it didn't match. The boots were examined again, and this time the report said that the findings were inconclusive. They were compared a third time by the Kansas Bureau of Investigation. Their experts said that Buckley's boot probably made the print. Detective John Sam soon began to believe that a third man 19-year-old Rolando Cruz committed the murder with Hernandez and Buckley. Cruz was a friend of Hernandez and he was a known gang member. The detectives questioned Cruz and he denied having anything to do with the murder. But he did say that Hernandez had told him details about the murder. He said that Hernandez had told him that Janine had been beaten to death with a baseball bat and thrown down a flight of stairs. 
The detectives reported their findings to the district attorney. The district attorney developed a theory as to what happened on the day Janine was murdered. They believed that Hernandez, Cruz, and Buckley were looking for a house to rob. They came across the Nicaragua's house and thought no one was home. They broke in and they were surprised to find Janine. They raped her and then killed her so she couldn't identify them. For months, the detectives questioned the three men and tried to get them to confess. But none of the men would admit to the murder. Then, one of Hernandez's friends was arrested for burglary. They put the man in the same room as Hernandez with a box of cash that had about $10,000 in it. The man was also wearing a wire. Hernandez's friend told him that he knew that his uncle had killed a kid. He told Hernandez that he told the police about the murder and they were going to drop the burglary charge and he was going to keep the ten grand. He told Hernandez he could get a similar deal if he told the police what he knew about Janine's murder. Hernandez told his friend he could show the police where the murder happened. He said he knew where it happened because he had held Janine down. Over the next several days, Hernandez led the detectives to different farmhouses in the area. But he couldn't seem to find the farmhouse where the murder was committed. Detective John Sam knew that there was no evidence that Janine was ever taken to a farmhouse. At this point, Detective Sam was seriously doubting that the three men had committed the murder. From his experience, the district attorney's theory about the three men breaking in and happening to find Janine so they raped her and killed her didn't make much sense. If they did break in, he could understand them panicking and killing her so that she couldn't identify them. But if that was the case, it probably would have made the most sense to kill her in the house and then flee. They would not want to risk someone seeing them carrying the body. Also, there were no signs that the murder and rape happened in the house. To Detective Sam, it seemed odd that three men with no history of sex crimes would kidnap, rape, and then murder a 10-year-old girl. The murder seemed more like a sex crime committed by a violent pedophile instead of burglars. Nevertheless, in March 1984, over a year after the murder, Rolando Cruz, Alex Hernandez, and Stephen Buckley were all arrested and charged with first-degree murder. They were scheduled to go to trial in January 1985. If they were convicted, they were looking at the death penalty. As their trial approached, Detective John Sam became even more convinced that the men were innocent. He thought that the fear of the death penalty would prompt one of the men to confess and take responsibility for the murder or one of them would have turned state's witness and testified against the other two men. But all three men maintained that they were innocent. In protest of their trial, Detective Sam resigned from the sheriff's office. He also offered to testify for the defense. Cruz, Hernandez, and Buckley went to trial in January 1985, nearly two years after the murder. Most of the evidence against the three men were people who said that Cruz and Hernandez had confessed to the murders. 
This included Hernandez's friend who had been arrested for burglary and told him to go to the police with what he knew about Janine's murder. The primary evidence against Buckley was the boot print. An expert said that was Buckley's boot print on the door. There was no other physical evidence like fingerprints or hair that connected the three men to the brutal murder. The trial lasted seven weeks. The jury deliberated for 13 and a half hours. The jury could not come to a unanimous decision regarding Stephen Buckley. But they found Rolando Cruz and Alex Hernandez both guilty of first degree murder. In March 1985, they were both sentenced to death. The district attorney chose not to retry Stephen Buckley and the charges against him were eventually dropped. By the end of 1985, something would happen that would shock the citizens of Naperville. Here is a quick word from our sponsor. We take this few seconds off to inform you, our valued loyal listener, about the best health and fitness podcast shows from the Nespod Studios. Join us as we give you the best of the best health and wellness updates you can rely on for the treatment of chronic health problems. Classic functional medicine back to basics health tips and special updates from the best doctors in the United States of America. Check out this health and wellness podcast shows. Explore Health Talk Weekly, Healthy Lifestyle Matters, Excellent Health Digest, Healthy and Free Daily and last but not least. Weekly Health and Fitness Corner. Also, check out Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told Fiction Podcast, for that real life on the go experience with the 27-year-old golden boy who made our guest invite number one list. He tells us about his story as it happens in real time and in real life. It's Nasty Boy CC The Truest Story Never Told. Go get a load of that happiness because happiness is healthy as we know it. Join us every week as we continue to provide you the best of health and fitness wellness updates from around the globe. Enjoy the show. On June 2, 1985, 7-year-old Melissa Ackerman and 8-year-old Opal Horn were riding their bikes in Salmonock, Illinois. Salmonock is a village that's about 30 miles from Naperville. A man approached them and grabbed Opal. He put her in his car. He then went to grab Melissa, but she had run away. While he chased Melissa, Opal was able to escape. The man managed to get Melissa into his car and he took off. Opal went and found help. She was able to describe her kidnapper and his car. A police officer who worked in a neighboring city recognized the description of the car. Shortly before the kidnapping, he had given the driver a ticket for an expired vehicle sticker. The car belonged to a 28-year-old man named Brian Dugan. Dugan was a machine operator at a hydraulics factory. He was arrested the day after the kidnapping in the parking lot of his work. After Dugan was arrested, he was held in jail because he matched the description of a man who committed several attacks in the Chicago suburbs. Two weeks after Melissa was kidnapped, her dead body was found in a drainage ditch. She had been raped and drowned. A strand of hair was found on a sleeping bag in Dugan's car. 
the hair belonged to Melissa. While in custody, Brian Dugan made a plea deal. He would admit to five very serious crimes, and in exchange, he didn't want to be sentenced to death. The district attorney agreed to his terms. Dugan admitted that he kidnapped and murdered Melissa Ackerman. That was the last crime he committed in a month-long crime spree. On May 6, he came across a 21-year-old woman who was having car problems. Dugan helped her get her car started, and then he got into the car. At knife point, he gagged her and blindfolded her. He drove her to a remote area where he raped the woman. He then let her go. On May 28th, he tried to force a woman into his car, but she got away. The next day, he came across a 16-year-old girl. He threatened her with a tire iron and forced her to get into his car. He wrapped a belt around her throat and raped her. Afterward, he dropped her off at home. Nearly a year before the crime spree, he committed another horrifying crime. On July 15, 1984, he was sitting in his car at a stoplight, and he noticed Donna Schnorr driving her car. Schnorr was a 27-year-old nurse. Dugan followed her, and then eventually ran her off the road. He then raped and beat her. Then finally, he drowned her. That was the end of Dugan's official confessions. But Dugan had more he wanted to get off his chest. He wanted to know if he officially confessed to the murder of Janine DiCario, would he be spared the death penalty? The district attorney refused to make the deal. Even though Dugan wasn't given the deal, he decided to confess to the murder. Dugan said that he went to the family's door and he knocked on it. Janine came to the door, but she wouldn't open it. Dugan yelled to her that he needed a screwdriver to fix his car. Janine said that he couldn't come in and she wouldn't give him the screwdriver. She then walked away from the door. Dugan saw her walking away through a window. He told an investigator, when I saw her, I had to have her. He ended up kicking open the door and entering the house. He grabbed Janine and took her to a bedroom. He tied her up and wrapped her in a bed sheet. He then went to his car and parked it closer to the family's house. He also picked up a roll of duct tape from his car. He went back into the house and using a towel and the tape, he blindfolded Janine. He then carried her out to his car. He drove her to an isolated area near the path where her body would later be found. He raped her in the back seat of his car. Then they got out of the car and he picked up a tire iron. Dugan hit Janine twice in the back of the head with a tire iron. She fell and struck her head on the bumper of his car. He then picked up a tree branch and hit her on the forehead and in the face. Once he was done, he left her face up under some bushes. Dugan said unless he had a deal where he wouldn't be executed, he would never talk about the crime publicly. The fact that Dugan confessed to Janine's murder was made public. 
not everyone believed him. They know some inconsistencies in his story. For example, Dugan said that he left the body face up, but her body was actually found face down. People also thought that the two murders he committed were too different from Janine's murder. He came across his other two victims in public places and drowned them. Janine was kidnapped in a home invasion and beaten to death. They thought that Dugan was just confessing to screw with the criminal justice system. On November 19, 1985, Brian Dugan pleaded guilty to the murders of Melissa Ackerman and Donna Schnorr. As part of the plea agreement, he was sentenced to life in prison. Alex Hernandez and Rolando Cruz appealed their convictions. In January 1988, the Illinois Supreme Court overturned their convictions. They ruled that the two men should have been tried separately. In February 1989, a lab in California got a sample of the semen taken from Janine's body. They were able to create a profile. Blood samples were then taken from Hernandez, Cruz, Stephen Buckley, and Brian Dugan. The experts said that the DNA only matched Dugan. However, this was in 1989 and DNA testing was only in its infancy. So Dugan couldn't be excluded, but the experts said he wasn't a definitive match. The DNA could have belonged to other men. Rolando Cruz went to trial in January 1990. His lawyer argued that Brian Dugan committed the murder by himself. The prosecution said that Dugan was a liar. They also said that if Dugan did commit the murder, he did it with Cruz and Hernandez. The trial lasted three weeks. The jury deliberated for ten hours. Once again, they found Cruz guilty of murder. The jury was asked what they thought about Brian Dugan, and they said that Dugan wasn't on trial. They voted to convict based on the evidence against Cruz. Rolando Cruz was once again sentenced to death. Alex Hernandez went to trial May 1990. The trial lasted two weeks. At the end, the jury was hopelessly deadlocked, so a mistrial was declared. Hernandez went to trial for a third time in May 1991. After a 10-day trial, he was again found guilty. This time, he was spared the death penalty, and he was sentenced to 80 years in prison. Once again, both men appealed their convictions. In December 1992, the Illinois Supreme Court upheld Cruz's conviction and death sentence. But then, in May 1993, the Supreme Court decided to give him a rehearing. In July 1994, Cruz's conviction was overturned, and he was given a new trial. In January 1995, Hernandez's conviction was overturned. Rolando Cruz went to trial for the third time in October 1995. More DNA testing was done, and it showed conclusively that the DNA belonged to Brian Dugan. Also, a sheriff's lieutenant who had testified at his other trials recanted his testimony. 
At the other two trials, he said that while Hernandez was in jail, he had talked about the murder. The lieutenant admitted they never heard Hernandez talk about Janine's murder. The trial lasted 14 days. The trial was only heard by a judge and no jury was present. The judge acquitted Cruz of all charges. A month later, the charges against Hernandez were dropped. Both men served 10 years in prison for a crime they did not commit. Afterward, the Sheriff's Department did an internal investigation. They concluded no one in their department had done anything wrong. In December 1995, the grand jury indicted seven law enforcement officials. They accused the seven officials of trying to frame Cruz. They were charged with official misconduct, obstruction of justice, and perjury. Before the trial started against the seven officials, the charges against two of them were dropped because of a lack of evidence. In June 1999, the five remaining were found not guilty of all charges. Rolando Cruz, Alex Hernandez, and Stephen Buckley all sued the county. In September 2000, the county settled out of court for $3.5 million. In July 2009, 52-year-old Brian Dugan pleaded guilty to the murder of Janine Carico 26 years after she was murdered. He was sentenced to death. In 2011, Illinois abolished the death penalty and Dugan's sentence was commuted to life without parole. 65-year-old Brian Dugan is currently incarcerated at the Pontiac Correctional Center in Pontiac, Illinois. In 2013, DePage County opened a child advocacy center. It's called the Janine Nicarico Center. Janine's family also started a memorial fund for literacy in her honor. Every year, they host a 5K run to raise money for the fund. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you. This will conclude the episode. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you hear, please leave a comment and subscribe. Thank you.